Welcome to South London Voices, a Tiger Spirit podcast celebrating people in South London and beyond. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. I'm a multimedia author and South Londoner. Today, our South Londoner is visual merchandise consultant, David Anthony. So, David Anthony, welcome to South London Voices. Thank you for having me. Now, you let's start with your connection with South London. Okay. Um, you don't sound like you're from round here. Round here. <laughs> well, I grew up in Australia. So um, I grew up in Adelaide, which is, was founded by the gentry of London. Grew up speaking proper English. So <laughs> not like, yeah, go on, mate, how's it going? So, yeah, I've always spoken well. And, I've, and uh, Adelaide is very British as well. So I grew up with a lot of English, Irish, Scottish. My father's side of the family are Scottish. My mother's side of the family are originally from Finland. So there's that whole British-European heritage there. So I grew up with all of that as well. So, so how, did, how did an Australian boy like you end up in <laughs> South um, Well, in 2002, I designed a year of travel for myself. So I was working in Sydney at the time at a cable um, television channel, uh, doing set design and visual merchandising for them. And then I was like, "Mm, I want to have a break. And I didn't just want to have a holiday. I really wanted to kind of have a proper break. So I designed a year of travel for myself. So I got my British passport and I I, um, got a job working at a summer camp in upstate New York. So that gave me a US visa as well. So I could travel in the country for six months as well. And that gave me the opportunity to go up to Canada as well. So I just designed this whole year. And I came to the UK first, and then I travelled, and then I decided to come back. So it's either go back to Australia or come back to the UK. And I could come back here and get a job fairly easily, or just temporary work anyway, fairly easily. And then I just thought, well, let's see what happens, and let's see how it goes, and just kind of start again. Because I left Australia, and it was like, right, I have actually left and sold everything, and travelling with backpacks, really. So it was... I was starting again. If I went back to Australia, I'd have to start again, again. So, so where, where, where do you start again? Gosh, so, so that's quite a big adventure. You just sold yeah, up and off you went yeah, to yeah, seek your fortune. Yeah, and I did a gap year when people didn't do gap years. It was a new thing then. People were like, what do you mean you're leaving your career? You can't do that. So I can do whatever I like because either I, I live a normal life and buy an apartment and do this and do that and whatever, or I go and do something else. Well, you know, I went and did something else. So So how come you ended up in South London, of all places? Well, I'd I'd been living in central London for quite some time, because I like always being close to work. I worked in Covent Garden for quite some time for a couple of different brands. And I lived in Fitzroy for a while and Pimlico for a while. It was always fairly, fairly central. And then I um, left a full-time job and took six months out. And I had friends in Oxford and friends in Glastonbury. So I spent quite a bit of time in Glastonbury as well. Uh, the town, not the festival. <laughs> and the festival, but anyway, the town. So, um, yeah, so I was living between those two for about six months. So a little bit of the countryside got into me. And then when I moved back to London for a job, I knew I wanted to move somewhere a little more green. Or I didn't quite have to be right in the action. And so I was kind of looking north around Crouch End, but when I was looking at 
real estate listings there, East Dutch was coming up. So I always knew about the, the village because I'd been to the village and the Dulwich Picture House and, and the gallery and what have you. But I never really knew Lordship Lane that well or, you know, I thought... East Arch was the train station. But then when I walked around the corner and saw the park and the trees and the EDT on the corner and everything, I was like, does this actually exist? Is this real? Because no one talks about it. It's like people talk about it a little bit more now, but I've been here for about three and a half years. So it's like people, it was just a secret. And I'm like, wow, it's a really good kept secret to see that kind of high street with trees on it and all the independent shops. And there was a new... Uh, uh, Brickhouse Bakery was just about to open up and I was like, yeah, I can see what's happening here now. So that kind of really sold it for me. So uh, unfortunately now it's no longer a secret because we're out <laughs> no. on the internet here. Yes, with this exactly. <laughs> so what I, I find it's really interesting because a lot of people now, you know, we say, oh, you know, it's so cold and wet and horrible in England. Everybody right. wants to go to Australia. Well, my stepfather is English as well. So he, he thinks I'm mad being here. And I'm like, well, if you want to be there, that's fine. I mean, he grew up in Loughborough in Leicestershire, and it was very different back in the 70s and 80s, and he was in the Navy for a long time as well. So he grew up in a very, you know, very common Middle England kind of world, which we in Australia knew about, but that wasn't, that wasn't our, our existence. That wasn't what was important to us. But that was, you know, if you live in that part of the country, that's your life and that's your world. And so I think a lot of people do get, yeah, really tired of that. Whereas don't, like, Australia is not all neighbours and home and away. Like, don't, that's fantasy. Like, you still have to work. You st- no, really? Not everyone lives near a beach. You know, it's don't get, yeah, there's sunshine and blue sky and nice weather and nice people and good things to do and what have you. But there's a whole other side that people don't know unless they live there. So... Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's, that's true of anywhere you live, isn't yes. it? Pros and cons. Yes, um, exactly, exactly. But I'm very creative. And so those opportunities for me in Australia, sort of when I was much younger, I had to, yeah, people stay in their careers for five, ten plus years with the same company or brand. And you literally have to wait for somebody to die before things start to move. Where in this country, things are moving all the time. So things have changed there. Definitely, but probably not have moved on anywhere near as close as what it is to here. So if I went back, I would have to start again. And a lot of what I've done here may not even resonate to to, to them over there. So because we do so much over here, like even when I go back to see family, which isn't very often, they don't do anything. You know, five years of my life is like a lifetime to them because we do so much and we do so much and we're really at the centre of the action, you know, <laughs> and we're creating as well. Whereas in Australia, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, so I, it's a different I, you world. Know, I'm conscious I don't want, to dis, don't want us to disrespect the No, no, of course not. But it, that's being creative. That's reality as well. And there's a lot of very good people over there who are very good at what they do and there's only so much work to go around and if you don't know someone you don't get that job or what have you so yeah yes and I think London of course is a creative hub isn't it um it's been like that for several hundred years and so for sure um, it's for a creative like you um and exactly. it's, it's the place yeah, to be exactly exactly so okay so now you're a visual visual merchandise consultant um <laughs> what does that involve and you touched on it a little bit but perhaps for for people who don't know that would be great to hear um sort of like behind the scenes and what 
what, 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 what it's all about. Yeah, well, in the old days, visual merchandising was called window dressing or display. So whenever you see a department store or a brand and you see their windows, that's where I started, working in department stores and for brands. So as stores um, became more of a brand in, say, the 90s and the 2000s, then the term visual merchandising came along. It is quite popular in this country, and a lot of people do know what it means, actually. So if you work in retail, you certainly understand. And there's enough people in this country that work in retail or are associated with that world that understand how important visual merchandising is to stores and to brands. So I work freelance at the moment. I've also worked in the hospitality industry, so I worked for uh, Caluccio's for some time as well, which is quite niche for a visual merchandiser. But they were a brand, and their cafe area was really theatre because we had displays all around the cafe, and they had a delicatessen at the front of the... I, we all just used to call them stores, really. So they used to have a delicatessen and a promotional area at the front of the store. So that's what attracted people in. So I did all the visual merchandising for all their stores. So, but that's very niche for a visual merchandising to move out of, say, fashion and homewares and into something different as well. So, so for me, it's um, because I don't work in retail. I'm just a shopper yes. or a restaurant goer. Yeah, yeah. And I walk into a shop or a, or a department store or a restaurant and I think, oh, this is nice. Yeah. And I sit down and I don't know what drew me in. Yes. I don't know what was it that was the appeal. I or just know, how. oh, or how. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is nice. Yeah. Um, and I... Actually, now you make me think of it. You know, yeah. there may be two shops or two restaurants next to each other. Yes. How do I choose which one? And I don't think about it. I go into one because yeah. I feel something. You feel something. Yeah. Or yes. it's personal choice. Yeah. So can you tell me about how, you know, so I'm realising. It's a never-ending question, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realising that there are people like you that yeah. are helping me make yes. those, cho- those choices. Yeah, in a subtle way. I mean, you might see a mannequin in a window. Oh, I like that outfit. And I will do the same thing. So will it make me go in? Yes, sometimes it will. But I'm a bit more savvy. So, <laughs> I'm like, I know the truth. I'm not so, no, I'm being sucked in by that. <laughs> but, something, but if I see a store that looks good, I know that the brand cares about who they are and they care about their customers if you're looking after that side of your business. Because a lot of people will forget about that creative side of their business and just open up a store or a shop and they won't worry about the aesthetics or what it looks like. It really is about aesthetics and uh, making people feel good. And with a lot of stores these days, it really is a lifestyle. So Anthropology, for example, on Regent Street, if people out there know Anthropology, an American brand, it's a real life store uh, style type of store and brand. And people go in there because of the way it makes them look and feel. And that's really important. So, so could we do a, just a mini, mini case study yes. without giving away any client okay. confidentiality? But if you could just take a sort of hypothetical example right. of a client says to you, um, you know, I want my store done up so I get people through the door. Okay. What kind of things do you ask them and how do you think about it and what do you do? Okay. Well, I worked for a, um, a small cafe brand called Wafflemeister and their head office was in Kingston. And they had a very dated-looking cafe. And there was a two-storey pret across the road that was busy all the time. And they weren't really that busy apart from... They sold milkshakes and waffles, basically, and a bit of coffee. And they had a very American diner, retro, red 
black and white look about them. And the, the cafe was only a couple of years old, but it still looked very dated. And they knew that they wanted to increase their their trade, their look and feel, their brand, everything really, their food offer, everything. And so the MD found me online, he found my website and he found me, we had a couple of meetings and he was like, I'd really like to work with you. So because I've got the visual merchandising background and I understand operations as well in cafes and restaurants, it's that real 360 degree look and feel because a lot of cafes and restaurants are operation. So you need to know what's going on behind the counter, basically, and how you need to serve a customer, but also it needs to look good for the customer at the same time. And then the aesthetics of the cafe and how that looks and feels as well need to be pleasing. So I can't show any photos, obviously, in a podcast, but if I could do it before and after, you'd notice a real difference. But I'm very upfront uh, but fair at the same time and I'll say well I like the floor good wooden floorboards we don't need to change those but those walls need a paint of coat and we need to change this display area around here I really like that picture on the wall but maybe not there let's shift it over here so there's little you know there's there's some things you can keep and some things you need to refurbish and sort of you know yeah and I have a contractor friend who I brought in for that job and we didn't have, we put everything down sort of on a spreadsheet on a line and we put a cost against it but we knew each other so we knew right so we want to do this on that wall we want to change the counter to look like this and the md really trusted me and he had some favorite colors that he liked as well or he wanted to bring a sense of humor in as well so i bought in a, a friend who um does um uh graphics and calligraphy and she designed a whole menu so I brought in a few people that I knew and he really trusted me to bring in those people because he trusted me so when you've got that and someone can make a decision really easily and simply and quickly it helps a lot whereas a lot of people just have no clue and so you're really fighting against what they don't know what their vision is and you're trying to put one in front of them and if you're visual in your mind it really helps but if you're not you're not helping yourself at all. And a lot of people aren't, but that's why you need to trust whoever you're asking to help you. There's someone like you who's a visual master. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so what was the outcome? So what was the, the end output at the end? Well, they wanted a real lifestyle cafe with what we call in the trade more day part. So you have, um, you have a, a breakfast trade, you have a mid-morning, you have a lunch, you have an afternoon, you have an evening. And they added more items to their menu as well. So that was all sort of behind the scenes things that they wanted to do anyway. So they added um, crepes onto their menu as well and savoury waffles as a lunch offer, which was quite different for them. And they improved their coffee and their tea and added lots of juices. Um, so that was the menu part of it. So they double, tripled their menu, really. So that allowed them to have that day part offer throughout the whole day. And the interior of the cafe, we just made it, we added a sofa, uh, refurbished every, all the other furniture that they had in there. We had a colour theme. Uh, we added some really nice prints on the wall. We redid their display counter. So when you looked through the door, they had concertina doors that they could open in summer as well. So it could all open out. So when you looked in, that was their window, really. Nice sofa, chairs and tables. It all looked nice and comfortable. Really nice um, uh, pendant lighting that we introduced. And there was a really nice display of their waffles and cakes in a really nice display. 
And I mean, the staff even changed their uniform as well, and music, and lighting, and it, you know, and the fascia. Like, there's all these areas that you you can't miss anything out. My so, goodness! Yeah, it sounds wonderful. In fact, I'm thinking, oh, now yeah. I have to go yeah, and check yeah, it out. Yeah. I can have a waffle. Yeah, and it was an instant hit. Lovely. Because they had regular customers that would go there every now and then, and the day that I was went back to just you know sort a few things out, some regular customers were sitting up the front going, "Wow, this is amazing!" Oh, yeah, it's me actually, you know. And they're like, "Wow!" Like they could really, and they could enjoy sitting on a nice, some nice furniture at the front in the sunshine with this nice vibe around them. Yeah. Gosh. So, and that's. Well, it's, it's all about vibe and like, yeah, really. Yeah. So, how satisfying for you? Yeah, 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 and for the client as well, because it was exactly what they wanted, and they got a few extra things that they didn't kind of really, you know, knew that they were in for. And I pushed for a lot of things as well, so I really pushed them to do certain things. Said, let's spend some money there. We don't need to spend any money over there. So, if you're thinking spend, 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 no, spend, spend, spend. Don't spend, don't spend, don't spend. So you're kind of like, if I take something away from you and you're feeling, ah, well, I'll give you something back <laughs> or let's look at something else that we can do to make it work. But they changed all their crockery and everything that they were serving with. Like they really, yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. And it was their flagship cafe yes. and they were a franchisee as well. So it was really important and they did all their training upstairs as well. So a lot of people were coming through. So it's really important to them to get it looking, yeah, 2.0, so oh, to speak. That's fantastic. So yeah. it, uh, when you're talking about lights and sets and all that, I was thinking yeah. it's like theatre. It is theatre. Retail is theatre. Yeah, it, everything's theatre. So, but done in a conscientious manner. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the set, you've got the, the dressings yeah, around exactly. you, you've got the costume, you've got... Yeah, bit, the customers the, are the players. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah. And, and then the sort of, the, the, all the training in the background to yeah, create the good yeah. food, the, the training for the, the staff. Feeling, the feeling, everything yeah, amazing. The right music, the right, yeah. the right level of lighting, everything. It's, yeah, a lot of people just don't think about all these things. And it's a business. You know, I give, consult with a lot of people and... I always tell them it's not your home, it's a business. So, and I can just tell by the way that people speak and react as to what's going on inside their brain. So, <laughs> and a lot of people always know what they should be doing, but they just don't know how to go about doing it, or they just don't see it, or they've got their head, head in the books, or they're busy, busy, busy doing something else, and it just falls away and it's not quite as important to them. But for the customer, and for your custom, it's everything. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that's why, you know, that's why there are people like you who are specialists in visual merchandise. Mm. The, your client is the specialist restaurateur or a specialist, um, you know, sh uh, whatever retail that they're, that, you know, clothing expert yes. or whatever. But yeah. you're, you're the visual guy. Yeah. Um, and so bringing all those skills together. Elements together. Yeah. Yeah. Need. yeah. yeah. So actually talking about theatre uh, mm. and, and so on is um, lights, camera, action. This is a quite <laughs> good segue into the fact that you have also worked as an extra on film and TV. Yes. That sounds terribly glamorous. Yeah. Can you well, tell us about that? Well, scenic artist is the industry <laughs> <laughs> terminology. But then I go, oh, just background extra. You know, like. So, yeah, well, I've worked in, I worked for a cable television company 
in, in, in Sydney. So and they were a home shopping network like QVC here. So I did set design for them there as well as visual merchandising. And I had a lot of friends that did independent theatre and film as well. So I'd always help them out with set design and stage design and costume and prop just on a small scale. And when I moved here, I thought, can I expand on that or not? I didn't really because the opportunities weren't quite there for me. So I shifted back into, into retail. But then when I became freelance, I had a bit more spare time on my hands. And I had a couple of people who were with some agencies. And I thought, well, let's try this out. I know how it works behind the camera. So let's see if I like it in front of the camera. And I have a personality anyway. And a lot of people, as I was growing up, would ask if I was an actor anyway. So just because, you know, yeah. It's like, no, I'm not, but I do all these other things. So, yeah, I started um, doing that only about 18 months ago. So um, I've worked on some interesting projects, um, a lot you can't talk about because they're not released yet, but then once something's released, then you can like talk about okay, so, it. And, so tell us about the ones yeah. that we can go and see you in. Uh, well, I, I have been in The Crown, season two, but my part was cut. Oh. That happens all the time. So um, yeah, I had a continuity role and I was playing historical character. And I had a couple of days on set with just me and the director and the crew and a, just a couple of other um, actors just doing a few things. But that was a really good experience. One, to be on the actual set of The Crown. Amazing. So I like, binged it the weekends. I saw bits and pieces, but I totally binged it before I went on to set. And then when I went on to set, it's like the same sets, but they're just recreating the look and feel of the space. So that was, that was a really good experience. Um, the first thing I actually did was Tomb Raider, which was a weekend shoot in the city, um, sort of in behind St. Paul's One New Change area. And I blocked off a whole street and we had the whole weekend. And we did one sort of scene. It was like a chase kind of scene. And in the actual movie, it was about one minute in total. But we spent the whole weekend... And I mean, there were so many extras on set, but you hardly saw any of them in the film. It's that's just kind of like there's a lot of attention to detail put into these things. But you kind of get to know that you're just a blur in the background or unless you really are writing the action, then OK, I'm writing the action. So, um, yeah, there's there's it depends on the opportunities. And there's also a lot of no in the industry as well. You pencil a lot of things in and you're not accepted for those roles. So you get over it very quickly and you learn very easily through other people on set how everything works. But you just accept what you are given and you just roll with it really so yeah everybody misses out on a lot and it's seasonal work as well and you sometimes um, a lot of productions are given a code name so you don't always know what it is until maybe you get on set and then people are chattering away and go oh actually it's such and such and like oh all right then (laughs) were you in Christopher Robin I I was in Christopher Robin actually and the person well friend now the colleague that I was on set with for a lot of the time she spotted us in the trailer again we were very small and it was far away but she's like no that's us like, yeah it is us actually so yeah and I actually had a scene where I was going down some steps walking past uh, you and McGregor and he was coming up steps the other way and I was right next to him but again in the scene it's all so quick you're just you just flash past but 
I knew it was me. I couldn't really stop it and go, that's me, but you know it's you. So, yeah, so you never know who you're going to see on set sometimes. And, and so, you were, were you in Bohemian Rhapsody? I was in Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. I just did a, a, a nightclub scene. So another colleague who's a friend, he was, um, you saw him on, you know, for a, like a flash usually. Uh, but I was, I was more in the background. But a lot of the times you're creating, again, the vibe on set for the main actors. It's a scene, you're setting up the scene. And so that's how... Yeah, that's why they need so many people. You're re- recreating that situation. So so there's a lot of hanging around. and There's then... a lot of hanging around, yeah. So if you can find good people to hang out with when you're hanging around, it yeah, it makes a day go a lot quicker. But they're always doing a lot of different angles of shots, and sometimes they can't get it right, and you're like, come on! <laughs> like, so... And, and do, do you get sort of direction? I mean, you know, like when, when you see people talking in the background of a scene... Yes, yeah, so sometimes you can talk. So a lot of time you have to mime. So a lot of times they're taking... Um, they're, they're doing a lot of different shots of the one scene. It takes a long time to do just like someone walking through a crowd. Like when you're watching TV and you're watching a shot that goes for about 30 seconds or one minute, that could take a whole day to shoot. I'm not joking. In TV, it moves a lot quicker. On film, they seem to have all the time in the world. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. And they're always just trying to pick you know, there's a lot of continuity involved. The weather, if you're outside, plays a part. So they're always trying to, you know, with the editing, picking the right scene. So that's why you get cut as well. Or maybe the light wasn't quite right in something, or something happened and it's not quite the right. Yeah, anything can happen. Gosh. So, yeah, so, all the variables. So if they're walking through a crowd and then yeah. they change angle yes. and you have moved into the wrong position as the extra. Well, not, you're, you're, usually, you're usually staying in the same position and you're just redoing what you're doing over again and again and again and with Bohemian Rhapsody it was a nightclub scene and it's literally somebody walking through a crowd it took most of the day I don't know (laughs) but we were just you know shooting the same thing listening to the same song all day over and over again and just you're talking to the same person I mean you can change up what you're doing with someone if you want to that's not a problem but yeah, it take, it's time consuming. <laughs> so so, why, so why, why do it? What, what's the buzz? What's in it for you? Uh, well, you're still doing something creative. You're meeting really interesting people on set. Uh, the pay that you get for that day can be quite good depending on the call times or if you're doing overtime and you get lunch and, you know, and you're seeing an actor that you know. I don't get too starry-eyed or anything, but I know who everyone is. And, uh, yeah, you're, it's an interesting process. So, and you're, you know, meeting really nice hair and makeup people. And it's just that whole, it's just that whole vibe of just being, you know, if you've got the time for it. So, as I said, you have to pencil all these jobs in. And sometimes you don't know the day before, a week if you're, you know, if they're really good, that you know you've got the job. So you're always penciling things in or you're rubbing things out. <laughs> uh, so your diary is constantly kind of all over the place. So whatever, you know, I can commit to, I commit to. So with either visual merchandising or with this. So, yeah. Fascinating. So yeah. um, we're just coming to the end of our time. But um, uh, before I, we go, uh, and obviously I'll ask uh, you to tell us your um, website and Instagram details, but I just want to talk about your website and Instagram. Okay. Um, well, first of all, 
If people want to find out more about you, when so you David Anthony Creative or Anthony, just say <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's with a with th. A, with a th, <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, so that's my my brand name and my website, my Instagram again, David Anthony Creative. So my website is my portfolio online. I also have a, a journal where I blog. And I have a My Story page and clients, so you can see everything about me. I even have an archive page with really old photos from, you know, the old days of window dressing. Well, so yeah, it so just what, puts what, everything online, it puts me online, so to speak. It's all your creative um, activity online. Yes. And what I wanted to specifically talk about is your Instagram feed, because I was right. just saying before we put the, the microphone on, that uh, your photos are just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> if you know how to take a photograph. <laughs> so, okay, so how, so how, how do you, you take, take a photograph? <laughs> well, I'm lucky that I'm a visual person, so I know what looks good. So... Um, I'm not a professional photographer, but two basic rules are light and composition. So when I look through the lens of either my even basic camera or my mobile phone, um, the picture that I want to take needs to be the picture that I want to see. So I will make sure that I frame it correctly as well. Um, And you need to have the right light. And you need to sort of like, there's a few in visual merchandising, you can use like uh, a pyramid shape, which um, your your eye line, your eyesight goes to a point and then it falls down. So you can use the same kind of tricks in photography as well. So you have like a, 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 um, like a, a, a center point, something, you know, in focus that your eye will be drawn to, then everything is a bit more blurry in the background. Or you can use emphasis or, you know, there's different little tricks that you can use to just, but you just need to frame the shot well and make sure there's no one in it so, <laughs> just to go snapping away so i mean i will stand there for a couple of minutes to wait for a white van to move or you know in london anyway so just to get the right shot because it's it's worth it so if i can't see the right frame shot through the lens i don't take the shot because i don't spend a lot of time on retouching i do the odd thing if i have to but i would prefer not to with instagram it's easy you know, there's lots of different. I just go into the different, uh, the different light settings, and uh, Clarendon is one on Instagram that I use a lot. It just brightens and gives a bit of extra shot of light, so that's kind of my go-to one really. But that's all I do with Instagram. But you've got to frame the shot correctly, so. Yeah, it needs to be a good photo because I use my Instagram as a mood board, really. So just things that as I'm running around town doing things, I see a good shot of something because on my journal, I tell stories. I need six photographs for that, for a main one and then five complementary ones. So I can create the story around, yeah, around whatever is taking a photo of a brand or a job that I've done or whatever it is. Um, I go to a lot of art and galleries as well. So, but then I might go to an exhibition and see only one good thing. So I'll just Instagram that one great painting or sculpture. So yeah, but Instagram I use as uh, a mood board and it's a fun thing as well. But it's just another, it's, it's something else to have. So you can link through from my website to Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn as well. But if people come across my Instagram, everything's very subtly sort of links through. I don't shout about anything. I don't do too much hashtagging or, you know, you, you do a couple of things, but just enough to tell a story because it's so time consuming. And I'm not 25. I don't have all day to be on Instagram and to answer people. So it's just, yeah. Fantastic. So, um, uh, David Anthony, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Yang Mei.
Our South London voice today was David Anthony, and you can find his website at davidanthonycreative.com, and he's also on Instagram as at davidanthonycreative. To find photos and links to some of the things we talked about today, go to southlondonvoices.co.uk and search for episode 8, episode SLV008, Creating Great Spaces with David Anthony. Or you can go uh, to it using the uh, bit.ly short link, and the short link is bit.ly forward slash slv hyphen great spaces. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode of South London Voices, please do help us spread the word. You can do this by sharing this podcast with your friends, or you can subscribe to South London Voices uh, via anchor.fm or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can leave us a lovely review. All this will really help us get this podcast to a lot more people. The South London Voices podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. I'm Yang Mei Ui, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at tigerspirituk. You can also follow South London Voices on Twitter at its own Twitter feed, at southlondonvox, V-O-X, at southlondonvox. And we're also on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash southlondonvoices. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.